Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast on all things walking and cycling and looking on the bright side of 2020. I'm Laura Laker. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Ned Bolting. And this episode, we'll be rounding up the year that was, well, pretty awful. Uh, But you can count on us to look at the positives. So we've collated all the things that we can be thankful for in active travel. And if there's a small silver lining to the year 2020, it came in the form of progress on cycling, walking and electric scooters. There have been some small steps, some great leaps and a few inevitable flat tyres along the way. We've had gear change and gear slips, but in general, active travel pretty much came to the rescue of 2020. So... How would you summarise 2020, Ned and Adam? How's it been for you? Um, oh, pretty exhausting. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, thankful in many ways. I've been healthy throughout all of this, and and so have my family. And I've, uh, I've, you know, not really done anything or been anywhere. So, so my perspective has become a lot more local, which I think's happened to a, to a, to a lot of people, um, which has been, which has been good. And, but I guess the, we, we noticed, I think everyone probably noticed this, uh, which is why I wanted so much to do this episode when you suggested it, Laura, is that, you know, for the first half of the pandemic, you know, we were clapping, you know, and on a Thursday and then now we're just sort of just, everyone hates each other, like, and, and is sort of, you know, everyone's being a bit tetchy. Uh, and I, that, that, but, yeah, it's exhausting, yeah, it exhausting, isn't it? And I can, you know, I, I don't like to be tetchy and I try and avoid it, but it is exhausting. And, and, um, you know, at the moment just, just Christmas has been, has been nice and we didn't do anyone or do anything or see any, anyone, but it's been, it's been, it's been okay, but it has just been both, you know, exhausting for many reasons because of active travel as well in, in the work that, uh, we've all been doing and talking about, you know, stuff that might take, uh, you know, a decade has as, as taken, you know, less than a year in places. So uh, I think everyone's just worn out, really. Yeah, I think um, it's very easy to be, you know, sort of relentlessly negative. And that's not the point of this episode of the podcast at all. And whilst I concur with kind of everything you've said, Adam, about the, the mood swings throughout the year, I think um, stepping back and looking at it in the cold light of day, which we will eventually, you know, we will kind of analyse this from a distance eventually, the, the changes that have been wrought. I think from a personal point of view, and, you know, this probably started, Adam, when you had the idea of setting up this podcast in the first place, which happened pretty soon after 
lockdown in March um, and invited Laura and myself to take part. And, um, you know, you you guys have been very immersed in this subject for much longer, much deeper than I have. Um, From my point of view, though, it's been a positive has been to actually... um, talk about it for the number of hours that I have done with you in your company. <clears throat> and it's made me think, and it's made me um, aware that it's a much more complex subject than I m- might've imagined. Um, but I'm engaging with it uh, for the first time in my life properly, rather than just kind of, you know, very superficially being frustrated or very superficially floating out some various different wish fulfillment that will never happen. It's a, it, it's, um, so that's, that's been kind of pleasing, if frustrating at times. Um, and that's, that's probably what I'd take f- f- from it as <laughs> a positive. It's not great, is it? But then again, I was, I'm minded of, you know, when we had Chris Boardman on as a guest in one of the earlier episodes, and I think he stressed very correctly at that point, you know, in our podcast that you shouldn't really use the words opportunity, um, in, in terms of this pandemic, but, um, a better word might be potential solutions or ways forward or pathways that have emerged. I think all of that is the right kind of vocabulary to be to be using. And certainly, certainly something's changed, you know, and it's it seems to be an enduring change. It seems to have been not unproblematic as the culture will sort of heat up. But um but stuff has changed and more people are doing it if it, by it we can say active travel, you know, and the, the statistics repeatedly bear that out. And um, so, so there's been a yeah. shift of some, of some description and that, that is a positive. Mm. Yeah. And seeing walking and cycling, which is something that I've worked on for a few years now, be, become part of uh, the public debate in, in a way that it hadn't been before and as part of the solution to many of our problems, which became far more acute this year. And um, just seeing people out walking and cycling and running who maybe hadn't done for a long time, that was that was quite positive. And I think that was, that was a positive coping mechanism for mm. many people in what was an incredibly difficult year and continues to be. Part of the public experience, that's been very pleasing. Part of the public debate has been less pleasing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's some cities, obviously, who are leading the way. And I think the, I think the debate there among leaders has been, or the, the, the decision that's been made among leaders is that this is a solution and this is something that we're going to push for. I mean, you think about the Parises of the world and the Milans and and London's doing pretty well as well, I would say, um, to be to be fair to, to London. Um, and also the broad support, you know, d- despite all of the discussions that happen online, some of which can become quite toxic, um, that we've seen people do actually support this stuff time and time again. And, and we'd seen that before, but it's only been underlined this year. And, um, and I think nationally, in terms of our government, there's been some positives. There's been a bit of wobbling but all of the announcements coming that Active Travel England, that's been something that people have been saying is is important for such a long time, you know, having something in central government that's leading on active travel across the UK and infrastructure and ensuring stuff is built to certain standards. And that's really important in terms of making the most of what resources are available. Should we have a should we, should we have a little um because because it, 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 a, a little sing song, Adam. no well, no not a sing oh, no. song well we could do it. if I had, if I prepared more for this podcast I might be able to um create one of those parody songs that that get shared loads but um not not in this case but should we should we um should we go through the things that have happened this year because there's been a lot it's been you know LTM 120 there's been the the highway code all that sort of stuff isn't it okay okay. Wrap it out for us, Adam. Oh, okay, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> so um, we've had an increase in cycling, like sometimes 300, 400%. We've had for the first yes. time, you know, uh, mandated, um, you know, spending on, on active travel with statutory uh, guidance. We've had pop-up cycle lanes, widened pavements, low traffic neighbourhoods, school streets. There was highway code review, which has a proposed hierarchy of road users. Um, yes. Cycling UK say that... Uh, record 16,500 people responded via its campaign alone to support support those changes. Um, we've had e-scooter trials, which are uh, 
at the very least, interesting. Um, uh, an active travel fund, talk of active travel England. Uh, some of the stuff that's not so good, you know, the National Cycle Network um, lost a quarter of its mileage because there was quite a bold assessment by Sustrans that it just wasn't good enough for the future. So there's a real kind of focus on that. And that comes also it's kind from... kind of positive in a way. Yeah, I, I call it a positive, positive way, because yeah. it doesn't serve anybody having, an, an, a, you know, a, a, yeah, something that's not fit for purpose. Um, so I think it's 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 an uncomfortable truth, but um, I you know applaud um, Sustrans for yeah, Sustrans. for kind of doing that, yeah. And um, and I guess that links to LTN one hundred and twenty, which which you know very specifically sets some some guides on what isn't isn't acceptable for cycle lane design, and and we saw that that was long awaited, um, and it's been sort of pointed at a lot. Um, unfortunately, I think it's fair to say that. Um, we sometimes had the carriage before the horse a little bit in that um, the the guidance is is pointed out as in you know follow this or we're going to claw our money back um, and and in in practice that hasn't happened um, and obviously we know that active travel England will take a little while to set up um, rightly so um, but the fact that we're having this conversation is is um, yeah is is really positive because that's a lot of stuff that's you know that's a term of government like or to, two terms of government in 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 less than a year probably mm. LTN 120 for those who don't know is design guidance isn't it yes local transport notes yeah, I was a bit I was a bit embarrassed there I thought I should know this I'm one of the panel <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> but I, I was actually just thinking what's he talking about so so yeah um, in layman's terms it's yeah local transport note it's it's guidance from the department for transport that goes to local authorities in uh, in England and says basically this is how you should design cycle lanes and it hasn't been done for uh, quite a long time which is one of the reasons that stuff just gets designed very poorly and also I think there's a skill shortage in local authorities as well so this is really good bold guidance that basically says don't build rubbish no one's going to use it just don't waste your money like only build good stuff and that gives us uh, I think a lot of hope because um, no one wants to go to a cycle lane where it says cyclists dismount at the end uh, and it doesn't serve any purpose other than giving something people to point at say get in the cycle lane um, that doesn't work or doesn't actually serve any purpose so this is hopefully a good step but it will require some level of policing via active travel England and law it's probably worth you mentioning um, a bit about that because that's been a big development for this this year but it's not um you know it, it might be next year's christmas present possibly yeah it's a yeah it's a long old process um so we used to have uh cycling england which was like i guess a precursor but then it was the first i think it was literally the first thing to go in in david cameron's bonfire of the quangos uh and then uh yeah but it's going to take ages to set up basically so they they're saying there's sort of noises that people want to do it properly in government. And so doing anything properly takes ages, basically. So goodness knows when it will come around. And then they're going to need some sort of uh, national commissioner to uh, to kind of oversee that. But it's going to be a hell of a lot of work because there's a lot of miles of road and a lot of miles of cycle lane potentially in the UK and shared spaces out. So that's good. Discouraged uh, because it's rubbish for everyone. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big job and slow job, unfortunately. But... Um, yeah, the yeah. sense is that it just does take a long time. There's a there's a kind of from from my point of view, there was a uh, a kind of gut reaction of this needing to be done quickly in in light of um, you know the 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 mood music at the moment and and the fact that we have a prime minister regardless of your politics that wants um, active travel and prime ministers don't last for, for forever. We know this. So, um, uh, you know, that I came at it from that point of view, but also nobody wants something that's set up that could be terminated just at the, you know, when the next government comes in or a new prime minister comes in, um, it needs to be in the fabric and framework of government in the same way, I guess, sport England is and, and other things like that, where they become agnostic to, to, to who's in government at the moment. Um, and that I do believe takes, takes time. Um, I hope that they can get some essences of what active travel England's designed to do, uh, 
out earlier, almost like an active travel England light, if you like, like some of the things that they're able to do uh, in the short term that councils need that support. Hopefully they can roll that roll that out um, before before too long. Um, Indeed. Um, we, we have we have a guest. We do. We should we introduce him properly. He just sort of rocked in. We only mentioned him. No, no, I don't think we've it. even mentioned him. We've got a surprise guest, everyone. So um, it's not a surprise to Brian that he's here or to us. But anyway, here he is. We've got Brian Deegan, uh, who is a cycling and climate safe streets designer, he calls himself. And uh, he's a design engineer at Urban Movement. He advises Greater Manchester's Cycling and Walking Commissioner, aka Chris Boardman and the Mayor of Leicester and he's an all-round nice guy and often a beacon of positivity which is an important quality to have when you're dealing with the ups and downs of working with local authorities. Um, so welcome Brian, uh, you've you've probably had quite the year as everyone in active travel has and we know that in Manchester you're planning 55 miles of new routes and 140 new crossings across Greater Manchester by this time next year as well as 25 LTNs, there's 85 million quid going round and and you're working across 10 districts. So uh, there's a firm deadline. It's very ambitious. Uh, it's taken a couple of years to get there, uh, but you're there now. So I don't know if you want to just quickly tell us about your positives from 2020, where you're at. All right. Hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, wh where am I at, really? It's, it's really about getting stuff built now, really, getting it built as much as possible and as quickly as possible. It's uh, always like uh, once we started in Great Manchester, it was always like a... People week one. When are you going to build something? And we're like, well, it takes time. We need to design it all. We need to do the orders. And they go, where is it? Where is it? Look, this is happening. This is rubbish. Why? Why haven't we done our area yet? It's still awful. Like uh, you get that, and you go, wait for it, wait for it. And I, I remember having the same um, like feeling when I was working with Andrew Gilligan in London. We were going, look, good stuff's coming. Trust us, good stuff coming. And two years later, it all started rolling in. So we're at that kind of exciting stage in Greater Manchester now where stuff's actually getting built and people can see it and it's starting to get that momentum going. And then really it's about keeping that momentum going, which is a good thing that Clyde Lopes said. I know you've had him on in the past, even if you've never mentioned me. But like it's all about keeping that momentum going. Once you get that build, you want to keep feeding it, keep the money coming in, keep the design going in and uh, work our way towards a transformational change for the UK. That's what I'm planning this year and that's what i'm hoping to roll out next year there we go i told Ooh. i told you he was positive like that is just a, a that's the most positive we've ever had on this podcast it's great it's great to have uh great to have you on um brian in in your um how would you sum how would you summarize um 2020 uh in in a in a nutshell um we we've just gone through all the things that is happening you know with the highway code and ltn 120 and funding and active travel england on its way and all of these things but um you know put that into words for me what what kind of how you'd assess that and what level of progress you think that is in the context of what you'd i guess expected before before this uh weird year well yeah to be honest nobody really expected what was going on did they? it took us all by surprise and it was a a real shockwave through transport as well, particularly on the on the public transport side of things, which uh, I still deal with quite a bit. And it's just like, what do you do when nobody will use public transport? Oh my God, they'll all go to the cars, and we're like um, kind of middle of the of the first lock. Um, everybody was in a massive panic, going, "Oh my God!" Telling everybody to drive, they're going, "This is going to be undermine everything that we've been working for for the past twenty years." In my case, uh, if, if the government instruction is to jump in your car and stay safe, that that's a little bit of a disaster. So we had a little bit of a, a mad scramble round, and, and we're trying to say, "Look, actually, this is a wake up call for the United Kingdom and for the whole world, really." To can we do things in slightly better ways? And you know, all the uh, all the inspiration people got from walking around the house and hearing the birds sing and that kind of relax. So it was a really stressful time, and we didn't want transport to add to it. But like by walking and cycling around, people did find that as a good way to de-stress. So. So yeah, it's an absolute shock. Nobody saw it. Like lots of my plans that I've been working on for, for several years didn't come off. We had to delay many things by like a 12 months and are still delayed. And will we ever get back to them? We don't know. It's very hard to test and research things when you don't have the normal scenario. So it was a, it was a hell of a year, but um, 
that there are all these positives that people have seen a way of life, uh, particularly in the way they travel, that they kind of want to retain. And that's what people are telling us. So that's the that's the big takeaway. We go, okay, can we get back to the 1950s level of traffic? That used to be insane to think about that. But we had it. We had it for a period, and, and people actually quite liked it. So uh, I've got something to ask people now. Do you want the transport conditions you had during lockdown, but with public transport as well? Uh, you know, that's uh, that's what I'm hoping next year is going to be about. So uh, that's a tricky one. Brian, I hadn't realised that you'd uh, worked in London with Andrew Gilligan. That that was very interesting. Um, can can you? I, I detect from your accent that probably London isn't isn't your place of initial origin. So I mean, you 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 have a good oversight as to sort of how the two cities differ and I mean, how have the two projects, they're very different in scope and, and kind of ambition, aren't they really? But, and the two cities are very different. Can you compare and contrast the two projects and how, how the whole initiative has been received by the populations of the two cities? Well, yeah, no, to, to an extent I wanted to, actually, I'll, I'll take it back when Boardman asked me to come up. He asked me to come up and see him in Manchester when he became commissioner and just, just tell him, Suck, suck Chris. Chris. Let's just say Sir Chris, Sir Sir Chris, Chris Boardman, Boardman to you. Uh, Sir Chris Boardman, yeah. Godlike right. genius that he is. Well, yeah, Chris Elar <laughs> asked Steady. me to jump on the, the train and come up and, and see him. And, and like, uh, yeah, I'd been working in London for like 15 years at that stage, and I'd been working closely with Andrew on the, the London one. There was lots of things that annoyed me about the planning and things we could do better, but we were doing amazing stuff as well. So anyway, when, when Chris asked me to go up and see him, uh, I spent – well, basically I had two hours with him off the train and met him in like a local pub with his team. And, and I said, right, do this, 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 and make sure you don't do that and plan it like this. And I kind of went through the whole plan, never let him get a word in edgeways, which, you know, I've, I've tried to maintain that since. <laughs> and at the end of two hours, he just went, hmm, yeah, that's really good. Come up here and do that. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of what, what started. So to an extent, what we were doing in um, Greater Manchester was uh, the result of much trial and error in London. London was the test cases uh, I like to see. I'd, I'd tried everything. I'd failed at everything. I'd found a few things that worked in some contexts that failed in others. And I'd come up with a little bit of a project management scenario. But like, you know, the London project was all rolling and going, but it was really interesting in Greater Manchester where you didn't have like a a planned cycle network that they've been doing dribs and drabs, but he hadn't really brought walking into the equation either. So when I pitched it all to Chris, I said, well, we should do this and, and learn from that. And here's all the things that went right. So that, that was really the extent really to, and, and I suppose the big thing that I brought to it early on was like collaborative planning, really to involve people right from the get go. Don't come up with a grand plan and force it on people. Uh, uh, 20 years of like a, door slammed in my face off that one in London. I was like, involve them, make it the councillor's plan, make it local residents' plan. So that was the big thing that we started off doing. And when I went up there, people go, oh, we're never going to be able to do a billion pound project. He's just saying it, it's hot air. But when we started involving people and they put their plans together, suddenly everybody was shocked. We had a billion pound plan on the table after three or four weeks of just talking to people and, and seeing what their ideas were. And then was like, well, here we go. How do we help you do your plan? That was the, the big difference. And I, I wish I'd uh, done that in London back in the day, but I wasn't around in the 70s. To, well, I was around, but I certainly wasn't working in cycling to, to make these initial plans. But yeah, bring people along with you. That was the, the key. I mean, obviously, you know, fr from a distance, because I work with Chris, I've been, you know, and communicate with him. I've been, I've been aware of uh, how this how this whole job has evolved and the, the scale of it from from start to finish. Uh, and I know it's not finished, anything like. Um, but one of the things I'm really kind of really deeply admire and I'm kind of, you know, as a Londoner, I'm very jealous of actually, is its overall coherence. I fully understand that you haven't imposed a kind of, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to, and tough, you're going to either lump it or like it. So it's been very collaborative. But nonetheless, it's incredibly joined up, isn't it? You know, it all looks the same, feels the same. It's got a name. You know the beeline's name, um, and and or is that no longer a thing? I still I call remember. it that. Um, I won't tell on you. Yeah, there was a, there was a vague legal issue, wasn't there? But well, let's not go down that rabbit hole. But um, but it is it has got a kind of um homogenous feel to it. Like there's there's thought that's gone into it, and it's going to work as a big as a big block of kind of initiatives. The, my big frustration now, you know, if you like, the, the, everything that's happened um 
during the pandemic in London is that the lessons that you say you learned when you were sort of redesigning and, and putting in those big changes in London don't appear to have been carried through particularly because all the initiatives, as far as I can make out on my doorstep in London, are some of them aren't great, to be honest. They're not particularly well thought through. They're incredibly piecemeal. Some boroughs buy in, others don't. Um, not all of them are terrific. Some look horribly temporary and are horribly temporary, like Kensington. Um, and none of it looks like it's come from the same brain or particularly, you know, <laughs> and that's a that's a frustration. And that's something that London should, I think, learn from the work that you and Chris are doing and then, you know, spread that out to all the other cities in, in the country. Would you? Can you see a big difference there? Yeah, no, I think you're right to an extent. Here's the thing, like you want people to do stuff, you want local authorities to do stuff, but when you're asking them and asking them, it's like, well, what will they do? Will you take like a thousand small little decent things or do you push them for kind of the big one? And what we tried to do in Greater Manchester was say, look, it's always going to be about the combination. We'll push you on a couple of big transformational ones. And meanwhile, do this to enable the area. So it's always a, about area based with like a linear planning and delivery. Um, so in, in some areas of London, it was it was a difficult one. Um, just uh, and, I, and I've got to say, quick humility check. I, I'm not the only one that works on these projects. Uh, off the go, yes, and then I did this, and then that. Yeah, there's usually teams of thousands uh, uh, that work on these things. But anyway, yeah, back to the difference between like London and Manchester and the joined up nature of it. It's a nightmare in London. Like uh, I still work in London. I live in London, and there's 33 different boroughs, and you kind of got the inner London one, and you've got the good side of the inner London ones that are always progressive. Then you got the ones that are like, we will see you out. We've been here for thousands of years. We'll be here for thousands of years more <laughs> doing exactly what we're doing. And then you got the kind of outer shell of indifference. And, uh, and uh, when I started working at Transport for London, working with Andrew Gilligan, it was all about cracking that out and not really. How do we get something jump started in the outer area? And, you know, the kind of mini Hollands has been talked about a lot, but that was the attempt to do. Can you kickstart activity? And particularly in somewhere like Enfield, which has has as low a mode share as anywhere in the UK when it comes to cycling. Can we get it going down there? And, you know, I think we did. And um, to the extent, like, um, there were lots of boroughs that kind of got left behind and, and their bids weren't successful at the Mini Holland ones, but he did have really decent bids on the table. You know, I could name them, but, yeah, maybe I will later. Um, yeah, great bids. And you're like, well, okay, let's give them 35 million as well and see how far they can come up. We chose the best ones. And I suppose I've been a little bit disappointed that they've just been left there. And then it's been more like, uh, you know, what will you do? Will you do anything? Or oh, here's here's a couple hundred grand, here's a million, what we do, mm, you know, then you do get little piecemeal things because it doesn't really fit in with the overall borough strategy or what, what they want to do there. But they did, off their own back, pretty much every borough in London come up with a, a really decent plan. And so we chose the best three, but there were like uh, six or seven others that were great. And uh, I suppose my call out to London was like, dust those reports off. There's some solid stuff in there. And that came from the boroughs themselves. Lots of those boroughs have done tiny little piecemeal things first uh, since then. But um, they, they can be ambitious, you know, if you, do, if you frame it in the right way and you let them decide. So uh, I'm all more for borough power. Albeit it was quite fun working with Andrew Gilligan and just saying, we're doing this. Get over it. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for that. Like a bulldozer. There is. I think there is a lot to be said for that. For that, Brian. It seems to have been like really effective in in um, in the places you've worked. I, I would say that we we when we saw the letters that had been sent to local authorities for the first tranches. There was definitely that that trademark. We're doing this. Get with the program um, uh, that, that came through in the kind of language of those letters. Uh, would it be, well, I, I think it's fair to say, it would be interesting if you agree that, that potentially um, the, the speed of that and the, the, the pressure of that and the kind of uniformed approach to each area, local councils that maybe haven't done anything in cycling for decades has kind of left us in, in potentially, I think we're in a better place than when we, when we started a much better place. But if we had our time again, do you think that could have been done um, uh, differently? Would it have been just for argument's sake better to focus on fewer, more, um, you know, more cohesive plans and actually achieve them properly in cities that, like Manchester or Leicester that want to do things rather than having a cycle lane in a, in a, in a you know, Surrey town that no one wants and got whipped out after three days? Be interested to get your kind of point of view on that. And I guess anything else that you think, Maybe if we had our time again, we could have done this slightly differently. I, don't, I know we were meant to be positive, but yeah. I can't help to think about um, 
things like minimum implementation, like plans for these cycle lanes, you know, saying if you're getting the funding, these things have to be in for six months to test and learn. And we never really had that. So that gave the, you know, the ability to take it out after a week. Um, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I could see the way that conversation was going, but I'll hold back from that topic area for a little bit. Um, but but I will say that we were in an emergency and the World Health Organization was telling us to do stuff and keep people safe and alive and separated. So, you know, every authority in the land felt the pressure to do that. And uh, I felt mm. um, Transport for London and the GLA acted pretty impeccable, but he was saying, look, do something, get on it. And then whenever you start jumping and running around in an emergency, yes, stuff's going to go wrong, stuff's going to go right, and you're going to you know, learn. And But I, I like the whole just trial it, just do stuff. We can't use buses mm. at the moment. We need to get people around. That's how most people are traveling. Get out there and, and get on it. You can't do too much, you, you, but you can definitely do too little. That was all the kind of feeling at the time. So so I feel like it's going to get messy and, and people are going to do weird things and they can respond and they're going to they're like a the, traffic management people are going to put stuff in the wrong place and it's all about oh that's not the same the right hue of color that i wanted on my street you know or why didn't i even know about because <laughs> we're in an emergency i remember my uh, boss john dales uh, he said look, look there's a gas leak we've smelt it we've all said it's an emergency let's do something about it so um we had to react quickly and that's what people were doing. So things, you know, weren't, weren't quite as uh, smooth as they could have been. It, it tended to go a little bit smoother in places that kind of had an existing plan that they could accelerate. Yeah, That, that was a, a real good one. So like in somewhere like Leicester, we'd, we'd planned out the routes and they got to a point like a, a mile a week of delivery, but it was all on routes that we'd been thinking about and planning as part of an overall strategy for a while. And, and same in Manchester, we could accelerate part of the B network now, uh, London had its strategic cycle networks all good, but it still hadn't really, for me, left the realm of planning, and it's still that kind of top-down level. If you had like an approved for a plan, this is what we're going to do uh, in terms of our walking and cycling, then it maybe would have been a bit smoother. But at the time, people were like giving instructions to their, their staff to go out and just get something done, see where the problems are, react to it. What's that Facebook group saying here? Like, uh, what's the WhatsApp group on, on that street saying? Get out in there and do something. So, um, I, I will never knock anybody for doing something, even if it went horribly wrong. At least we all reacted to an emergency, which is what we were supposed to do and what the government was asking us to do. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one thing you mentioned the other week, actually, on your ideas with beers that really resonated with me is that we've not communicated well the fact that this is a respiratory pandemic uh, and that, you know, even early scientific research is showing that areas with uh, high, high levels of air pollution have higher COVID death rates. And we've, uh, as a, I guess, as a group of cycling advocates or as a, as a, a unit, as nobody has really kind of communicated that very well um and that's to me is is one of the things i look back at and 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 i'm frustrated with myself that that you know that that is something that's really important and and actually the, the all the stuff about climate change which is also super important has has been probably you know naturally really on the the back burner because people can only concentrate on one disaster at a time um and 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 that that's kind of been moved to the moved to the side um uh, as well yeah i mean i totally agree with that i think you you know all would do and and what's been really interesting is like the um the case against doing the stuff that we want to do for walking cycling shifted as well with the arguments from climate change and, and air quality being used to stop stuff that's like a yeah how freakily perverse it gets in the uk uh, i remember being you know, in the European Parliament once, because I get around a bit, I was asking this question of experts that said, has anybody got any evidence that if you tie space over to cycling, that the congestion gets worse and there's an air quality impact, so more cycling equals worse air quality? And uh, just like a, a whole host of like 60 experts just going, only in England could that question come around. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I was going, well, has we've nobody had, researched this? <laughs> I like uh, yeah, sorry, bit, bit topical that one. Come on, Laura, I can see you've been asking me a question before I get into the big debates. But that's what we life like. I've been working on it for twenty years, and there's always going to be a different freaky excuse people come up with for for not doing stuff, and and then we spend a year researching and going, yeah, that's absolutely not true. Yeah, but what about this? 
Okay. I don't like <laughs> it. I, I think we're at a point now where we're snowballing and the evidence is totally overwhelming. But like it, it's interesting now that the dynamic switched and people are saying, actually, yeah, we want better air quality. So you need to get rid of all those bikes. And you know, it's, it's strange. <laughs> but we'll, we'll tackle it. <laughs> Go on, Laura, um, sorry. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, I was on, I keep missing your ideas with beers because it seems like on Tuesday at five o'clock, I'm desperately trying to finish something. But I was on a recent, I think your last one before Christmas and it was, it was really positive actually. It was just, just a little shout out for ideas with beers. It's just genuinely heartwarming to see so many people who care about this subject and it's, it's a real community and you get some really super interesting speakers on there. Uh, and yeah, I just really enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be back for next year. I, I, I've, I've kind of, felt sorry for a few councillors. My local council, we've got an LTN here and there seems to have been relatively little uh, backlash. And so that's been really nice to see. But I do kind of feel sorry for other councils who've had, um, you know, obviously local concerns and then have just thrown up their hands and said, OK, we're not doing this. I don't know. You've, you've talked about your long experience in London. Do you have do you have advice to give to people who want this this kind of stuff and, and want to keep it? Well, yeah, I mean, I hope put together the report with a London Cycling Campaign on how to talk to people about the future of their streets. That was kind of like based on on like bitter experience, really. And and um, I suppose my advice to, to councillors and people trying to push these things through is it's kind of it is going to be a bumpy ride, but why did you get into politics if not to have a bumpy ride and to do stuff and make changes? And it will be an overwhelmingly positive change when you when you do this stuff. So um, another thing I did up in Great Manchester was go around and meet every single councillor with Chris Boardman and we talked to them through the project and then I said we can do some follow-up ones and I did a session with uh, with Clyde Lopes when he did his, like, uh, the coffins and they're all marching on the, on his council speech. Absolutely fantastic if you ever get to I'm sure you've heard <laughs> Clive talk about that. Um, yeah, and then I talked to, like, yeah. just, like, a how to do a low traffic neighborhood and how to put one together and what it meant and the feedback you were going to get and how to deal with it. And it's just like, a, you've got to understand about councils that everybody in councils full stop wants to do something positive for society. It's something that you've got to say, and it's often forgotten. And even when you're attacking someone, that person wants to do the right thing. Otherwise, why would you get a low paying job where everybody hates you, you know, unless you wanted to do something good. And it's the same for councillors, but they come in and they're just not particularly trained for how to deal with it all, how to deal when you get 500 letters all saying, we don't want this and go, what have I done? What have I done? I didn't even understand it. And um, I spent a lot of my time back when I was at Camden and they just, just talking to councillors, getting to know them, seeing what they want. And I've tried to carry that on there. What, what's your agenda? Okay. I'm really into public health. Right. Okay. Let's push the angle and uh, air quality. All right. Regeneration, economic growth, whatever it is like, uh, you know, walking and cycling kind of helps from the transport side of things. So, so I think like uh, it's a question of, making sure they have the evidence and all the stats to back things up. Um, and just to go back to an air quality point, uh, I remember a, a certain local borough, uh, London borough, who I mentioned, wanted to give all their walking and cycling money back on stage because they thought, we can't defend this scheme on air quality sense. And the councillors came up to me and said, the saying this, the saying the air quality is going to get worse, out, take it back. And it was a serious amount of money. And I was going, well, you know, what's the nature of the issue? And they're saying, well, you know, like a, the cars are going to get more congested, so the air quality is going to get worse. So, said, well, you're going to put in cycle tracks. And here's a scientific paper. For every meter away from the source of the pollution, there's a 20 to 40% drop-off in the risk of exposure. That cycle track is protecting everybody that walks down that street. It's taking a year, like giving them an extra year in their life, stopping heart attack events. Here's the paper that shows heart attacks from toxic metals. And it, so to an extent, like... Um, you need good officers. You need like people like us, and you know your articles that you write, Lord, that that you can go. You know what about this? And that's all I felt that councillors ever really want. They want like a a bit of data to be able to show when it gets hot. And if you give them that, they'll back you the whole way. If the if you don't have that, they think, oh my god, I've stacked it all on top of this. Like a pull back, pull back, like a, a abandon the ships whatsoever. So for me, it's like a, you need a if you're going to be a good councillor, you need good officers and need to feed you the right information. And like enter a, any meeting with a whole list of stats. I should have brought some today because every time you quote something in numerical form, everybody assumes you know what you're talking about. But if you don't have any numbers and you don't have any evidence then what we do making this decision on other people's behalf anyway, people will start picking that apart. So uh, 
That's a really long answer to quite a simple question, but you knew the risks when you brought me on. <laughs> Don't cover us with stats and That's facts, not Brian. It's not fair. Yeah, 25% of this panel knows what they're talking about. You can prove anything no, no, with facts. No, actually, t- t- if you go to two decimal places, the argument's won. That's uh, <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, I was just going to say, you know, going back to something Adam said actually earlier on about the way he regrets with hindsight some of the messaging and there were certain things that perhaps should have been more um, keenly stressed, you know, the health implications of bad air and all that sort of thing in the early stage of everybody you know, thinking, thinking how important active travel was in 2020. Well, you know, we're not through this yet. And um, this is a continuing story. And it's very, I think it's very timely that we're talking now on the eve of the new year. um, And today when the Oxford vaccine has been announced and let's just be, you know, in the spirit of optimism, let's assume that this vaccine is going to do what it says on the tin that you don't have to store at minus 70 degrees, by the way. Um, and And that actually we are... The be- this is the beginning of the end of COVID, right? Let's just let's just let's just hope that's the case. Um, w- what we do know for sure is that eventually um, the weather turns in late March and April, and it was beautiful in 2020. And people are going to be, regardless of the COVID situation, which let's hope it's, is improving, people are going to be getting that bike that they just bought last year out of the shed again and and using it. And they will get this, they will nip down and get the e-scooter that they've always wanted from Halfords. And they will be tempted to leave the car at home and go walking again to experience that birdsong effect. So the opportunity to move it to the next level and to do it again, but better is right in front of us. And we need to plan for that now, don't we? Because, you know, very soon February will become March. And then if we're chasing our tails before, we've got to learn now from the mistakes that we made last time, make the messaging clearer and try and, um, and try and really affect permanent change for the, for, for good and really change hearts and minds this spring, because it caught us on the hop last spring a bit. Would you agree that's very important there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's nothing you said there that, that sounds wrong. But but I will say people can beat themselves up over the messaging. But like I say, we're in an emergency and people react to it. And at the end of the day, uh, I've been talking about Andrew Gilligan a lot tonight, so I'll mention him again. But he always used to say, like, there's certain people that will not get into it, whatever you say, and just like, whatever we're going on. The most people want this, but there's, there's certain like hardcore individuals and, and we all know who they are and, you know, they're, they're getting quite well organized and it's like a quite fringe activity and whatever you say and whatever you provide them, you won't get them on board. So like there's that and you can spend forever like perfecting your messaging and going, this is perfect, but it's going to work for that group and it's going to offend them even more. Then it's just going to come out with you and like it all get involved in these long kind of Twitter debates where you go, I'm just giving you the evidence. No, no, but I, I completely agree, Brian. Um, it's a really important point you make, you know, I mean, this, these, these debates are in the grand scheme of things toxic, but tiny, you know, what we're talking, what we're talking about is the, is the 90% of the population who don't obsess over, you know, who's, said what on which radio show or, or which cycling group has had a go at whom. Um, th- th- this is um, it's a much bigger prize at stake, isn't it? And it's to the broad sweep of the population of these cities uh, that we have to that we have to edge them closer yeah. to, you know, embracing and accepting these changes. That's the point. And I completely yeah. agree. We we turn our backs on those who are irreconcilably yeah. opposed. What's the point in um what's the point in entertaining that debate? It only everything you say just firms up their position. Yeah, I, I think like what we're talking about and uh, Claire Stocks and ideas with beers, I'll get my own <laughs> plug in now. But yeah, she she made a really good point. It was like a sort of mass behavioural change thing. And we need to take it seriously. Like that. It should be like a, you know, um, don't drink, drive, not smoking babies' faces, that kind of level of stuff. And, and I think we can get better at the messaging like that. Uh, uh, I spent yesterday, fun guy, that um, I spent about an hour yesterday looking at 70s and 80s, like public information films. I remember every single line of every one of them. I was like, when's the next time we're going to do a public information? Help us out a bit. <laughs> Just yeah. show the benefit of some of this stuff. We all know it, and it's bloody obvious. And these things really get stuck in people's heads, and people are quite receptive, I think, to public information at the moment, more so than I've known since the 70s, really, to, to show my age. So um, I think we can absolutely improve, like like you say. But uh, you know, to, to an extent, some will always hate us, but like uh, – 
getting the messaging right and thinking, look, we've all got to change. We're talking a transformational change to, to deal with this emergency and to then to get on to decarbonization, which is going to keep us all busy for the next 10, 20 years. And like, if we, if we fail that one, well, it's game over everywhere, isn't it? So, um, yeah, I agree. We can get better at it. But like more importantly, the, I started off saying it was build, build, build time in Greater Manchester, and you've got to get to that stage where obviously it's good. Obviously, someone giving you a gold bar is good. You don't have to argue, oh, well, that's going to be quite a heavy thing for me to take off you there. Like, oh, I'm not sure. Oh, I haven't got my uh, my trousers where I can put it in the pocket. Like, no, this is a good thing, and we need to start doing more and more of it, and we need a, a mass behavior change. You're all going to have to adopt the way you do it, the way you get around, and you're not going to be able to take that car in every single trip. This is just like stuff that everybody's got to face up to, but we can make pleasant environments, and it is going to be fun while we get there. And, and for me, that's, that's the overall message I tried to get out there, that actually walking and cycling and having a nice place to live, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's fun. It's fun getting out there. And, yeah, I mean, uh, I've always got a smile on my face, a smirk, as my enemies uh, uh, kind of call it. I'm always smirking about these things. But <laughs> there is a really positive message that is, is quite good fun walking and cycling and getting where you want to go in an excellent way. <laughs> Just like, yeah, why would we good. all do it? All fours, we're not that mad. It's a bit less scary than don't lock yourself inside a fridge, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> don't trespass on electric lines. That haunts me every time I see an abandoned fridge. Or a- <laughs> li- weirdly, a little bit of me is always tempted to have a go and see if I can get out. Yeah. No, you know, the, the pickup sparklers one is the so one maybe, that always uh, stuck in my head. Oh yeah, that was. Yeah, I that actually was met the girl. Was she was at hell. university with me. The girl from the sparkler, and I was like, oh wow. Wow, like, that's that's genuine that's fame. That is. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, David uh, David Prowse uh, died recently, didn't he? The Green Cross Code Man hero man, um, and and uh, actually you saw the response. Was he also Darth Vader? Sorry. Yeah, more, more more known as Darth Vader, but um, also Green Cross Code Man. Um, uh, but but when when he um, when he suddenly died, you you, you know you saw everybody kind of come out of the woodwork and go, you know, cause everyone had that positive memory, uh, uh, of him and all the stuff that he'd done. And, uh, yeah, it does. Um, it does stick, doesn't it? So, uh, Laura. Oh yeah. I was doing a little dance. Uh, yeah. Cause we were going to ask you, cause you did a really nice, um, roundup of things to look forward to in 2021 or like a quick list. Um, and I, we kind of wondered if you might talk to us about those things. So we've got, I don't know how we could approach this. We've got Active Travel England. We've got Cyclops rollout, which is your one of your things. We've got Manual for Streets. We've got loads of things. Yeah, I mean, uh, I could talk all day on all of them. So, yeah, I mean, there's a list of uh, positive stuff that's coming, uh, real real game-changing stuff. Uh, I was a little bit cheeky because I was in uh, including automatic emergency braking and, uh, and, um, yeah. and alcohol locks. And, and that's coming at the system. end of next year, but it's coming... Yeah. It's coming, and they'll be like intelligent speed assistance will be a lots of game changer mm. for people that they won't just be yeah. speeding right, you know. And it might take five, ten years for it to kick in. A real, real positive change. We're finally addressing the source of like road danger. Uh, but go, going back in there to the less like the active travel England is an exciting one. I'm excited as well. I keep. Uh, I keep trying to find out who's doing it or who's got it, <laughs> but I have no idea. So it's, it's genuinely exciting. Uh, I don't know who's, who the leader's going to be or what's going to happen, but that, that idea, and um, Adam mentioned it about the quality and ensuring it, it's, it's a difficult one, that, because uh, particularly when um, my whole profession, highway engineers, are just not trained to to do anything to do with walking or cycling, to be honest. It's a real problem that we're, we're trying to address in, in our industry. So... People need to check stuff, and I've been doing this stuff for so long, but when I started doing it, there was about four of us that, that did it across the whole of London and a, a couple <laughs> of people elsewhere. There's lots more to do now, but I still spend a lot of time like looking at everybody's drawings and, 
And I, I did say to Andrew Gilligan and Chris Borden once, my dream was just look at everybody's designs, every single one in the country. But but someone else or a different organization looks like it's going to get that dream if we get active travel England. And hopefully we can get the standards right up there and, and those kind of terrible compromises will start getting ironed out of the design. All the stuff that we kind of know, oh, I've got to do this thing for cycling. Oh, yeah, but I've got to, ambulances or, or the people have got to park or the businesses in there. I'll tell you what, we'll do an 800 mil wide advisory cycling in there and we'll, we'll put the symbols. They don't quite fit in it, but, you know, we'll, we'll put it in there. There we go. We've done something yeah, for cycling. So you're, we you're, can um, then say we've yeah. done something for cycling. And, you know, but sorry, look. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Maybe we can do a couple. Maybe we can say a couple of positive things about each of this. I, that might be a good way of, of tackling it. So, Active Travel England, it's going to be design standards. No more eight hundred, eight hundred mil wide cycle lanes. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, just um, someone needed to check it, and it, it's interesting one. And people will say, yeah. "Well, why don't the Department for Transport do that?" But it's just not quite their mandate. They set the the laws, but it's up to you to interpret how you do them as a designer. But there's going to be like some kind of organization that says actually we don't think we're interpreting that in the correct way and 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 it's for me it's a real like a blessing a help put together the cycling level of service for the london cycling design standards and see see a version of that that's come out nationally as a as a game change because that that changed the game in london i could say no, it doesn't fit here. It's got a critical. It's zero points. I'll have to report up to Andrew Gilligan. He's going to throw something at me. We have to do something about it. So there's a, an organisation to check quality coming our way, and I'm very excited about that one. Uh, Cyclops rollout. Well, yeah, we've got about 50 of those things on the book and a good 20 coming next year. And uh, lots of other local authorities are looking at it as well. And now, to an extent, it's not like a a mass transformation because you actually get a win for cars as well. But that actually also means that we can roll out protection in time and space for people walking and cycling at massive junctions, medium size, all, all the places where all the collisions happen. And we can do it easily without uh, too much drama and years of like protractive network debate. So uh, I think we've got a template there. And if I was going to spend 27 billion, I'd spend it on just doing those. But because <laughs> we don't we in case you don't know what cyclops is uh it's it's the junction with the cycling on the outside and and then the walking on the inside we'll, we'll put a link to it in yeah. the show notes because it's probably yeah, i mean we're just talking protected junctions i mean they're all just protected intersections if you want to get all international mm. on this like the americans have been trying to do it we've been trying to do it just taking that dutch style approach which means that you never go through a junction as a cyclist or pedestrian when there's any cars to cross you and you're, you're fully separated in yeah. time and space. It's a luxurious way, but we found an efficient way of doing it. And yeah, check them out. Um, and manual for streets three. Yeah, well, this is like, um, that is like the, the national standards for kind of planning and streets and it carries a lot of weight so you can end up in court if you're not following it and, and like uh, one of the issues I have in my profession is people using sign manual for roads and bridges because it's got all drawings in it and we say well you're supposed to be looking at manual for streets and go oh there's not that much technical information in there I can't read that many words um, so I'm, I'm hoping like in manual for street 3 they get a little bit more technical and give us something. And then there's a real strong incentive for engineers going, this is what you look to because it's, it's usually positive. Great name for a f- great title for a film as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, ideas with beers you've mentioned um, yeah, briefly, just in a nutshell, um, uh, for a lot of our listeners that are into this, what, what is ideas and, with beers and how can they get involved? Oh, yeah, you just have to email ideaswithbeers at gmail.com and I'll send you a link. It's every Tuesday at 5pm UK time and just whoever turns up I normally have a couple of speakers and we just uh, and I've got Bob Davis like a partner in crime and that who does a kind of weekly roundup of everything to do with COVID and, and active travel but probably hopefully if COVID starts transitioning out we'll be focusing a lot more on, on decarbonisation and putting that so just a good place for campaigners to meet like uh, industry experts and councillors and we all can kind of deep dive stuff a little bit because uh, you know when everything's just like headline based it kind of does my head in a little bit I'm going to go well 
let's get into this one. Like, you know, we're talking about mm. air quality, no traffic neighbours. Let's talk about proximity for an hour and a half. Just one element of it. And <laughs> at least we've got like that rich source of data then. Uh, that, that's certainly the way my mind works. And it's great hearing from experts on that. So yeah, anybody's welcome. Although I didn't give it like that. It's not the most exciting thing you've ever heard of, but the way I described it. But if you want to actually get to the nuts and bolts of stuff, then uh, turn up, have a chat. It's definitely useful. I found it found it really useful um, uh, as well this year. Um, I'm going to just put um, intelligent speed assistance, automatic emergency braking, and alco lock kind of in a bucket. Um, but they're, they're Brian, if I'm right, they're, they're things that are happening to new car tech, which will yeah. uh, potentially have an impact to how people travel in in our streets. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we're going to do uh, an ideas with beer session on this in the next couple of weeks. So. Uh, We'll deep dive it and then get some of the people who actually uh, lobbied to make these changes. I'm trying to get some of them to come on and talk to it so we can get right in there. But, but what a what a game changer if people can't speed. What a complete game changer for road safety and, uh, and road danger reduction. I've got to say that for, for Bob. Like uh, if you can't drive your car when you're drunk, what a game changer. I know we're, we're, we've got a lot better over the years of doing that, but it's uh, still phenomenal and then that whole reaction time of braking when the cyclist comes in front or the person walks out there that's automated then we're all a lot safer i think this will like potentially the biggest changes in road safety and collision reduction in my lifetime just a uh, phenomenal so really excited about the new tech coming with cars and and they're like brian are you really excited about cars well my whole career is really about trying to manage the dangerous effects of cars so that other things can survive around them. I don't, never really do cycling stuff, really. That's up to, to Ned and, and Chris. And like, uh, I just try to make cars less dangerous by providing better street environments, and then it's okay to walk and cycle. So these are three massive helps. Um, super excited about them. That's news to me. I didn't I didn't realise that was happening. It does sound great. I'd love to, maybe we should do an episode on all that stuff <laughs> yeah, at some point, because that does sound really... So. I d- honestly, I d- had no idea that was coming. I wonder if there'll be like a a massive kind of uh, hike in the value of used cars <laughs> like that don't have this technology. Every, everybody's <laughs> renting the cars these days. Though, aren't cars. They? Everybody's renting cars, so it's, I'm hoping the changeover will, That's in, will happen I do, yeah. quicker yeah. Yeah. than we think. Interesting, yeah. Very interesting. And linking to obviously new cars uh, and then therefore decarbonisation, which is a uh, which is a theme. Um, we have COP twenty six in Glasgow, the UN climate change conference. Uh, that's going to probably have you know a heavy focus on um, decarbonisation. Um, Active travel is obviously part of that, but you know I think it's it's about a whole load more. Um, do you think that will have the kind of uh, impact i guess nationally and internationally with um obviously we're going to have all the heads of you know the key governments there uh, etc so it should be quite a big news moment for us all to sort of stop and look at ourselves really and work out whether we're, what we're doing is actually fit for purpose or not yeah i mean for me that's like the top line of policy from which everything else hangs that's that's what's really when you start like why are you doing this why are you putting the bollard on that street well because the government signed an international treaty that was then backed up by the by the regional authority and then the local authority had, had to and then this councillor did it and that's your ward members that's why that thing's going in there so so it's really um important that we don't forget the the bigger picture on this one and you know i'll, I'll be really excited and uh, just from working in glasgow for the last few years as well on the avenues project to see people from around the world like uh, appreciate some of the stuff that we've uh, we've helped to deliver there would be fantastic glasgow is an amazing city and I-, I like to think we've made it a little bit better in the last couple of years so uh, it'll be great to see it happen there so yeah i'll watch that one brilliant wonder if i'll get an invite <laughs> Yeah. Um, in the um, <laughs> possibly um, in the time we have left Brian um, obviously one of your um, key projects something that, that you know quite well known for uh, and Chris Bourbon is as well with um, with Side Road Zebras and it's something we've talked to Chris about here and I know Laura's done some great reporting work on the transport laboratory that's doing the, the, the research um, if you put that in 21 does that mean you Brian Deegan are, are quietly confident that we might see Side Road zebras in our streets next year or is that that um the kind of thing if you write it down you think it might happen well i mean yeah i mean i could say that and go well they're already on people's side 
the streets. It's just one of the, <laughs> they, uh, they, they're in supermarkets not. everywhere. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I hope so. I mean, uh, Grant Shapps like sent a letter saying, "Finish the research off. We'll we'll treat it seriously, and and we'll we'll hold him to that. And uh, you know, I think he will look at it properly. And everybody can see the the benefits of it. That it's massively cheaper than doing continuous footways and side run entry treatments." Uh, it doesn't mess with your drainage or like a, you don't have to build new curbs or anything. You just paint stuff in and we get like an instant safety benefit. That's that's really what we're talking about. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping the uh, case will be overwhelming like early in the new year. There's certainly the research so far, albeit it's been, it's been challenging. That's one of the things that I put in my got massively delayed. It's very hard to do research in a normal condition when you don't have one. So we've really struggled to get the research up and going again. But, you know, we have been told by government that they'll give it a fair shake. And, and we think it makes a really strong case from what we've seen so far. So uh, I'll leave it to Chris Boardman to tell you the actual details when, when they come out. But it's overwhelming. I'll exert every bit of influence I can in the in the back rooms, and and we'll get Chris to roll out on telly and and, and say say what's happening. But very exciting. I think it's a, a complete game changer. On the few that we did, and we did put some in a couple of years ago when we launched the the B lines, and it was night and day. The first one that we painted in, I I spent an hour walking out in front of cars. And every single one of them stopped. <laughs> and I wouldn't normally do that in the middle of Salford. I'll tell you, like, as a, I wouldn't get too far, but like it, I'm not advising people do that, but like, uh, I liked testings and it was one of those things. It was just like everybody went, Oh yeah, Zebra, slow down, good way. So, uh, I think it'll be a real game changer. Just like, uh, I know at the moment I've got young kids and whenever you're out walking with them, you know, they go running off and then you shout, go away at his arrow, stop. <laughs> it's just a, constantly shouting at them all around. It's a completely stressful experience, which which most people are having. And there's a reason people throw kids in the back of the cars, you know, and we have to look at that. That's the real, the gateway to, to car dominance of your life, really. It's normally when people have kids and they think, oh, this is the only way to get them around safely. Uh, I think personally, and the evidence seems to be going that way, that a sideboard zebra can give just enough confidence and, and create the conditions where you can relax and just keep strolling and actually enjoy walking around your local neighborhood rather than having to stop think, well, I'll make it, should I, should I sprint, get your green cross, cross go <laughs> skills out? You know, you should just be able to walk around, shouldn't you? And everybody else should be looking out for you if they're in like a, like four tons of 60 yeah. mile an hour, like a exoskeleton equipment. They should be the, the ones responsible. And uh, and I think Sidewalls Ever is a real strong statement and a, and a cheap one and it gets the job done. And mm. as an engineer, that's, that's why I love the idea. So we've had a very, well, I feel enthused, a very positive conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. I just want to, just want to, um, round up on, uh, oh, there is, uh, I feel massively cliche now, but, um, on, on New Year's resolutions, like what we're looking forward to in 2021. Um, Laura, do you want to, do you want to pitch in what you're looking forward to and what you think you might, you know? Well, I mean, personally, I guess, I guess, in terms of actual travel, more of this, more of the same, more of what Brian's been talking about. But uh, personally, I've got, I wrote, kind of drafted media reporting guidelines last year. I was gonna, we were gonna launch them in November, but it turned out to be a much more complicated thing than I had first anticipated. I've been having lots of conversations with journalists. I've got more coming in the new year, so we're gonna uh, massively simplify what we tried to do there. Um, so the consultation was really helpful for that. Um, also hoping to relaunch Project Pedestrian. It was a very strange year, 2020, and Project Pedestrian, which was about pedestrian safety in particular, kind of fell by the wayside. So I'm hoping to relaunch that in 2021. Um, yeah, that's Great. Me. Oh, exciting. Uh, Ned? I'm going to turn my back on the uh, toxic nature of social media in this regard. Um, yeah. And I'm going to co- I'm going to focus on what I can do. I'm not a campaigner and I'm certainly not employed to do any of this. So my time and my, my concentration is a bit limited. But what I can do, and this is really important, I think, is I can act on the micro level. And I've had some success in recent years. And I think of the number of um, uh, associates and friends of friends and, and people that work with my partner, for example, who who have taken to cycling and walking and left the car behind. It's really quite a big number and it seems to be growing. And if you can play your part in that circle of influence that you have directly, then that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to redouble my efforts in the real world, talking to people face to face, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on board with that, that um, uh, Ned, in terms of turning, turning um, 
my back. Certainly, like the thing that's frustrated me over the last couple of months has been um, uh, has been the so-called culture war, um, which I just don't believe exists. As Laura mentioned early on in the episode, you know, consistently, roughly two thirds of people. Um, are, are supportive of measures, even when they know that road space uh, has to be reallocated and it's to happen in their local communities. Um, and I, I, I just want to do everything I can to sort of stick up for those people, really, because uh, they want it. Uh, they, you know, people. It's not a culture war. They, they, not on Twitter. Just people got bikes. Yeah, I quite like to ride, ride to school with my kid. Yeah, that sounds sounds nice. And and really not losing sight of of that. And that's what's um, that's what's keeping me really really positive. Um, that that group of people, the interested but concerned, um, that really um, really deserve better. Uh, I, I think. Um, and uh, Brian, as I guess you can go, you can go last. Most importantly, what's your uh, what's your 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 New Year's resolution for twenty one? Yeah, no, it's always the way people say really earnest, great things, and then they come up with something completely stupid. And, and so, well, I'm looking forward to site visits again. That's the that's the big thing. <laughs> Real uh, life, yeah, like seeing people getting stuff built and then going and taking pictures of it and going, look at that, everybody. That's that's really what I used to use social media for, and that's. You know, to just show people that I started doing Twitter when I was building a scheme in Camden. I want to show people every single detail about, oh, listen, these curbs have just arrived and to this type. And, and, and I'd, I'd love to get back to that. I've been somewhat stranded and at the best of times, I've got ants in my pants and I, and I can't wait to get out and, and see all the stuff that we're building. And, you know, uh, as an engineer, I want to make the entire world a building site until it's built exactly the way I want it. And, uh, yeah, I need to go out and see stuff again. So it's it's all about me next year, going to site and seeing stuff and getting around. Actually riding my bike, because that was my excuse to ride my bike all the time as well, getting to work. Kind of, if I haven't been like a getting to work or going to sites, uh, uh, I'll never do it for fun. I'm just not of the, the same milk as Ned and, and the rest of you. But um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to riding my bike to sites a lot. Awesome. Great yeah. stuff. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. And and thank you to Ned and Adam. And we all thank wish you, you... Thank you. Yeah. Um, and so you've been listening to Streets Ahead. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. You can rate and review us and you can share the podcast with your friends, foes and family. And finally, wherever you're listening, Happy New Year from us to you. And we'll catch you next time. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All of us. It's going to be great. I promise. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.